Good morning once again. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, again, thank you for showing up. Those of you who are here this morning, as most of you will notice, there's a smaller crowd today. We have so many people that are sick, not able to be out, kids. I heard someone say to me this morning that approximately in one of the grade schools in town, on one given day this week, 160 kids were off sick. That's a lot <laughs> in the general population of kids. So yeah, it's going around. We are continuing this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, in 1 Peter. Please open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be in verses 18 to 25. And as I said during the um, Advent candle uh, readings and, and uh, lighting this morning, um, we're going to finish chapter 2 of 1 Peter this week. And then next week, uh, we'll start with an Advent series. Uh, you might want to pray about that. I mean, we've done Advent series now for like 8, 9, 10 years, and it's kind of like every Christmas I'm like, all right. What, what can we find new here? Uh, but it doesn't matter finding something new. Just retelling the actual biblical story of Jesus coming is, a, is new enough, right? Uh, that's why we do it. But the Lord has put something on my heart to be able to see it in a different way. And so please pray about that so that I can actually get to that this week. So today we finish off chapter 2. Last week, as I mentioned to you, Peter started to get very, very practical. He'd been through a lot of the, what we call imperatives, who God is, what he's done. We need to know that, have that foundational orthodoxy, right? So that we then know how to live our lives uh, as believers in Jesus Christ in this broken world. And that's the challenge, and that's why Peter is writing this letter. So last week, we, we'll get into it a little bit. You know, we saw him begin the process of helping us understand, well, here, here's how you live uh, first of all, it was like, here's what you think, how to think, here's how you live in, in, a pl- in a world where you need to be under governing authorities. You need to be submissive to governing authorities. And of course, that was just for those people in that day, right? No. <laughs> Applies for us today. And if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to listen to it. So today he's going to get into, and we'll pick it up again in January, what are called the household codes. So household codes. Read the text with me. And then I'll pray one more time. Verses 18 to 25. Peter writes, To the church in Asia Minor, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, once again we thank you so much. Yeah, we thank you so much for the words that were read from Deuteronomy this morning uh, that Nick read to us. And, and, and again, <laughs> hearing your heart in that, 
And Lord, we can hear your heart in this through the Apostle Peter, the pastor Peter, to this church, this group of churches in Asia Minor, and to us today. You want us to be mindful of these things. You want to encourage us as we live out our born-again, bought and purchased at a very, very high price lives in this world today. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just guide us and lead us through this amazing text and passage today. And I pray for your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' worthy name we pray. Amen. So last week I did have three points for you. (laughs) I'm just going to repeat them because we're only going to stick on the last point this week as your sermon title. But last week it was about think this way. Peter wanted to, to give us some background and the people in that day about being subject to or submissive to governing authorities. So think this way, first of all, and then out of that, live this way. But out of that, we also saw it was about being this way. It's about our identity. It's about who we are. And we just need to be that every day. So that's your sermon title for today. That's your singular point. Be that way. So I have a question for you, like I like to do once in a while to start these things off just to get our minds thinking uh, appropriately about where we're going with this, or hopefully anyway. Have you ever found yourself, rhetorical question, <laughs> at a point in your life at some point where you were, you, were, you were doing something, something where it was like, it was almost like obligatory, you know, where you felt like, okay, I have to do this, but I, I really don't want to do this, and really somebody else should probably be doing this, and, uh, but if nobody else steps up to do it, I guess I have to do it. It's one of those things where you're, you know, you're required to do it, you're doing it, and while you're doing it, you're kind of grumbling to yourself because it's, you know, like this is, I hate to say this, but it's maybe a little bit beneath me, right? It's beneath my station in life, right? A, a point at which what really, I mean, sometimes that, that feeling can be accompanied by the sense that you're being treated unfairly. You know, you're not being recognized like somebody else. Like, you know, I used to really used to bother me that in the middle of the winter when it was really freezing cold in Toronto, my dad always gave me the money to go to Max Milk and get the milk. Never my sister. Really annoyed me. And that was just the beginning of it. Cut the grass. What about Paula? I mean, have you ever been there where you're in that kind of place where it's like, this is actually, it's almost, it feels like what? It feels like you're being a servant, doesn't it? It feels like this is beneath my station. (laughs) You know, I'm the oldest son. Okay, that's why I'm being told to do it. That's why. But anyway. So yeah, we, we, we end up, the, the problem with that also becomes, I think, I don't know about you guys, again, I look back at my life, I've got to adjust this thing, um, is that it, it seems anyway, when I was growing up, and by the time I got into high school, that I was being taught that, no, 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 what you want to do is, you want to go to school, you want to get a good job, because at the end of the day, you want to be the one who is being served. Right? Yeah, right. You want to be the master. You want to have people serve you. Well, at the end of the day, here's a good word for all that, right? Because what are we being groomed to be in our culture when people are doing that? Well, there's one word for it. A consumer. (laughs) A consumer. So there's a mindset happening here. So what we have here today is Peter following on from last week's text and those two lovely words, those subjects we had to look at last week, the words authority and submission. Right? You still ring it in your ears, right? You loved it, right? Yeah, I know. You're smiling, but you're shaking your heads. I get it. So after highlighting that last week, and probably a little too long, it was getting a bit annoying, I'm sure, I do remember that this happened. I do remember looking out and saying, come on, 
Are you willing to raise your hand and say, at least before coming to Jesus, I had a serious problem with, with authority? And, and most of you put your hands up, right? And then I added, and what about since coming to Jesus? Some of you put your hands down, and I was like, hold on. <laughs> that is the idea, however. And so I, I want to suggest to you that's where we're at today. I think we need a bit of a, a, a mind shift. We need to rethink our attitude towards servanthood. Because, because if, if we don't, and I know some of you have, I know some of you have got a really great heart this way, but we're not all there yet. Until we do that, however, I'm not sure we're going to learn from Peter today, from the Holy Spirit today, what it means to have a servant's heart. Like, really. Have a servant's heart. So our text today tells us in the first 21 words what Peter, what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. There's a to-do here. It's in the first 21 words. It's the imperative of how then we should live born out of the indicatives of who again God is and what he has done. This then is what we should do, how we should live our lives in the area of personal relationships in the home and or at work. Household codes are extended, as we'll see in our text today. For the next seven verses in the text, so from verses 19 to 25, Peter is going to show us in his words to the churches in Asia Minor seven reasons why and how, at least anyway, we should do this. And at the end of the day, I think the hope is, is that we're going to see that this is what's good for us. This is probably one of the most important things for most of us to grasp in the Christian, Christian life is that we need to model ourselves after Jesus Christ. We need to humble ourselves. We really, really do. So let's look at our first verse for today. Verse 18. It'll be on screen for you where Peter wrote and said, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Again, I, I ask this, and I'm sure we, we, we probably need to ask this question. Why servants? Like, why, after writing about the prime minister and the president and the governing authorities and the civil magistrates over us and the law and all that, why, what's, why is the next thing on his mind servants? Good question. Before we actually get to that, I have to make a point for you, which is important. It's going to make it a little bit more challenging, but it's important. I... I'm preaching from the ESV translation. I think it's a wonderful translation. But I'm going to say to you this morning, because I checked it out. I, I, I know the Greek word. <laughs> I do. I know the Greek word in the original language. And uh, I also know the Venerable King James Version. Anybody know that version? Like it's, it's a, I call it Venerable because it's really old, right? 1600s or something, thoueth, willeth, and wonteth, which is why I don't read from it. Uh, but it's really good in certain areas. But all of the main Bibles that are on the market today, the ones that most of you would be reading, ESV, NIV, you name it, um, they all translate the Greek word servants. And I think, I'm just going to suggest to you, they're trying to be politi politically correct or a little bit sensitive, right? Well, I don't think we should do that this morning. I think we should look at the Greek word because the Greek word is slaves. Oh, hold on a sec. <laughs> okay, you want me to have a servant's heart? Okay, I, I, that sounds really wonderful. But wait a second. He's writing to slaves? Yeah. 
it's a, it's a challenge for sure. And we, we understand that and, and we struggle with that in our culture and our world today for obvious reasons. Um, considering, of course, the history, you all know this, the history of the last 300 to 400 years, whether it was the Atlantic or the Afri- African slave trade, which was abominable, which was horrible. And so when we hear that word, what, what, what do we naturally go to? We naturally go to that. I mean, why wouldn't we? That's how we, we perceive slaves, right? It's actually, sadly, one of, the, one of the, if you listen to some of the, and I don't recommend you do because it's painful, some of the, the known, you know, radical atheists, especially those guys that don't have podcasts, it's one of the ways that they've attacked the Bible and Christianity and God, for that matter, for decades, is that, well, yeah, the Bible endorses slavery. Why? Because the word is there? But, and actually, they have some ammunition for that, don't they? They do, because the truth is, in the history of the church in the last three to 400 years, it was apparently Bible-believing Christians that were at the forefront of putting men and women into servitude, in, into owning and buying and selling slaves and having slaves, and apparently using the Bible to justify their actions. Um, we, we know that the Bible never endorsed that, right? It never did. The truth is, sinful men and women did these things. They are the ones who committed these atrocities. So I point that out because it's the subject before us, actually, in the historical context, and so we need to be honest about that and look at that, and especially since somebody might just throw that in your face one day. I've got to get a new stand. <laughs> it's because I have my Bible on here. It's all sinking. Sorry. It's... Uh, But anyway, for the most part, that's who Peter is writing to in the first century. But listen, that's not what it meant to be a slave in that day. Not exactly anyway. And for the most part, it didn't. In that day, and so that brings us to the question of why Peter is writing to and speaking to servants, slaves in the church at that time. Why? Why does he single them out? Because approximately 30 to 35% of the population in Asia Minor were servants and slaves in households. And, and, and a high percentage of them were Christians. And, and that was actually one of the ways in which they were being persecuted. And it was a trial for them. And so a large percentage, as I say, are Christians. As, and, and the reason for that, previously they were Gentiles, the pagans, most of them, again, 70 to 75% experts believe were Gentile pagans who'd come to faith in Christ. The rest were Jewish people who'd come to faith in Jesus Christ in that area. And so many of them had been in the marketplace. Many of them had had jobs and had businesses and so forth and lost them. And now we're taken into a life of servitude in these homes and servants in these areas. They, they had also been people who had rejected the polyistic, polytheistic views of Nero and the Roman governors and all of the populations. And that was another reason why. They were persecuted and put into servitude in this way. They were the outcasts also in that society, much like those who followed Jesus and loved him most were the tax collectors and the outcasts. And so, yeah. So for the most part, the role of a slave in Roman culture was not, for the most part, listen, for the most part, I'm going to repeat those words. (laughs) Some of you know your history. Was not the same as the slave trade that we know, that we know. And so as I've already said, 30 to 35% of the population were slaves. However, there were some differences that I want to highlight for you. 
for the most part, again, I'm using those words, they were not owned like chattel. It wasn't the same in that sense where you bought and sold and, and that was it. Secondly, they could in most cases at an appointed time leave that master, that homeowner, and his estate and go either work for another one or go back into the marketplace in a different job. In other words, move up in their station, maybe one day own their own home and have their own, what? Slaves, servants. So that was actually possible. However, the the truth is historical records will also tell us that, again, in most cases, most slaves in that day, especially the Christian ones, did not eventually find their freedom. That's just also true. So finally, however, historians tell us that many were very, very capable men and women. I've already alluded to that. Uh, Before coming to faith in Christ, they were working in the marketplace. Some were highly educated professionals, whether doctors, yes, teachers, marketplace, uh, uh, accountants, and so on. And now they've fallen into servitude. But here was the thing. If you were a wise master and you had someone who had a skill like that, well, what would you do? Make them go plow a field? No, in many cases, actually, they were given the management of the estate and of the home. And there was, of course, more than one on a very large estate, slaves. Husband and wife, the kids too, and so on. So it was a very, very different attitude. And in many cases, they were considered and there were benevolent masters in those days, as there are today, who would consider them almost a part of the family. They would give them good food, (laughs) keep them healthy, clothe them, give them a nice place to sleep with their family. And so it was different. So our text today makes it clear that some, maybe many, were also terribly treated. Go figure. There are good masters and bad masters, but Peter addresses them, and listen, what he doesn't do is counsel them to rebel, does he? He doesn't counsel them to get even. He doesn't counsel them to form a union. Nothing against unions. (laughs) Different day, different time, but he doesn't do that. So we got to ask that question, well, Peter, why? Why Why don't you at least set the ball rolling? for emancipation and freedom and workers' rights and all those things that we have today. Why? Because he couldn't. Because it wouldn't work. In fact, that type of attitude at that time would pretty much ruin the economy of that part of the world. It was dependent on these kind of slaves and servants. So now the main reason why I detail all this to you today is so that when we get to how this applies to us today, I think it's important that we know there's a difference in the context, but there are some principles in all of this that are awesome and definitely apply to us today. So back to our verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. And so again, what does Peter tell them to do even under those circumstances? Stances, pardon me. Well, first of all, he says, be in submission. Submit yourselves. Have that posture towards your master. And, and frankly, let your master know that. And how? Well, by giving your master respect. Respect your master. Show him. That's how we show we're submissive, not by walking around lowly with our hands tied. And No, we, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, master. Thank you, master. Absolutely. What would you like me to do now? 
show respect to your master. And so that he knows that. And also everyone else in the household sees you being that way. Peter then adds, show your master respect, and not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Hold on. <laughs> Come on. It just doesn't fly in our day today, does it? Well, it didn't then either. The point is, he's going to get to it. That's what I'm telling you to do, what the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you to do. So remember how you and I feel or felt as we considered some of the things I was pointing out early on about being in a servant role or being, you know, told to do something we really don't want to do because, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, maybe our parents or our our bosses today, there we go, we're starting to connect the dots, aren't that great and kind, but I don't know about you, but I've been in work situations in my, my business career where I didn't treat a boss with respect and didn't, you know, didn't, uh, and, and talk behind their back maybe a little bit to other employees. You guys would never do that. And then, what, did that work out well for me? No. <laughs> I'll tell you what, neither with my master or with the other employees. You get known to be a certain kind of person. Well, remember how, as I said, you and I considered some of these things in our place of service. So even with a good master, with a good and loving parent, we can start to feel all sorry for ourselves, right? Our station, and especially if someone else gets the master's attention and we're not getting it. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Remember that? Like, I'm doing all this cooking and all this work, and she's just sitting at your feet. Real life story. Verse 19, he goes on and begins to tell us some of the whys. Here you go. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So, so Peter uses in verse 19 the phrase, this is a gracious thing, and in the next verse he adds, in the sight of God, and so I want to suggest he intends that in verse 19 as well. When you are serving your master, when you're doing, listen, your very best to be a good servant of your master, and despite that, you endure sorrows, when you are feeling demeaned, belittled, and even suffering injustice, while, when while you're doing all that, and, and listen, have God in mind, you're even going through all of that, and you're thinking, God, I love you. I, I remember being with the, the church on Sunday and singing praises to you, and, and Lord Jesus, I'm doing this for you. I love you, right? And, and, and even when you're mindful of God is what he's getting at, understand this, it is a gracious thing to God. It is a gracious thing to God. And so that's the first why. I, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life, as a growing and maturing Christian, which is still hopefully happening, where I will be bemoaning to this or that or whatever to my dear wife, you know, during my business career, during even my 13, 14 years as a pastor. <clears throat> no, that wouldn't happen, would it? Uh, and Jesus, Janice would say to me, oh, Glenn, stop it. You're just doing it unto the Lord. Remember that, would you? And my, my first thought is, Janice, would you please stop that? <laughs> I know. If you're helping me here. Peter then provides an example to help us get it. I love this. He says, look, for what credit is it, in verse 20, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Okay. It's very simple, right? The, 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 the thinking here is pretty simple. If I commit a crime... 
like really do commit a crime, I've got to pay the price, right? And so if I commit a crime and I pay the price, what good is it for me to go out and say, hey, look, yeah, I got a, I got a ticket for distractive driving. Don't anybody think about that. Um, and, uh, and you know what? I, 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 paid, I paid the fine. You know, I was wrong. I paid the fine. And uh, okay, so hey, aren't I a great pastor? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? If, on the other hand, right? It makes a really good point here. And so I was thinking about this, about how that looks and what we, what we I think, want to get from what Peter is saying here. Because, look, it, struggling and suffering under, like, legitimate injustice, it's not right, but it's going to happen. And how we respond to it is really, really important. And he gives us a beautiful picture here. So for you parents who are out there, and even if you're not a parent, you... You can imagine what this looks like, or you can remember it, hopefully, from your childhood. But if you're a parent, right, and you walk into a room, and your children are all playing there, but they don't see you. They don't hear you walk in. They don't know you're present. And then, then you see your daughter actually say to her sister, Sister, I love you. And then give them a hug. As a parent, aren't you, like, standing behind the wall going, Fuck. No. Okay, so how about you're at another situation where you're at a, I don't know, football game and your son is playing and you're, you're a bunch of other parents are there, right? And, and there's just a, an event that happens where actually what happens is there's a, a, almost like a, a fight's going to break out and a bully is going to take advantage of another boy and your son steps up and goes, hold on, stop that. And everybody can see that. Aren't you like, it's, it's, uh, you know, yeah, uh, number 42, that's my kid, yeah. Aren't you? That's what's happening. That's what our Lord is doing when this happens. You see, again, the wrong idea about God is this. He is just looking for you to mess up. Right? Have you ever thought that? Has anyone ever suggested that? He's just looking for you to mess up so that he can zap you. Man, I've been zapped 3,000 times in the last week. I, I mean, right? Like, he's just doing that. That's, that is not what God is doing. I learned a lesson many, many years ago uh, as a businessman in my, my work life, and it was related to this, and I didn't really, I didn't, it wasn't because of a preaching on it, but I just learned the lesson. I don't know really where I learned it, but it was like, yeah, if you have employees, what's the very best thing you can do? Because you know what, you, what happens when you're a boss and, and your business is struggling? You're looking for everybody who's screwing this up. <laughs> like, who did that wrong? Why isn't that set up that way? Why aren't the chairs straight? Just saying. Okay. Exactly. Some people got that. And then I realized, you know what? Find examples of when people are doing something wonderful, unselfish, not even asked to do it. Point that out. Oh, that can change the culture of any organization. Right? I'm really glad to have learned that. But that's our God. That's the picture that Peter wants us to see here. Moving on in verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you and I might follow in his steps. Friends, this is the life we are called to. That's a big why. Right? Why have a servant's heart? Why prefer to be in a servant role? Why? Because we've been called to this. It's part of our calling. 
It's re- I don't know what God's will is for my life. I get, I get that a lot, especially if someone's under 25, right? And I understand. I asked too, but you're, you're called to, to serve others, just like Jesus served you by giving his life for you so that you could, what, be a master? No, so you could serve others just like him. And so this is the way we should be seeing ourselves, being seen all the time, doing all the time, is this, living our lives imitating Jesus Christ. That's what I think this verse is telling us, what Peter's trying to communicate here. And this goes far beyond, by the way, that bumper sticker, which I think today is a hashtag, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Oh, yeah, so I'm in this really difficult situation, and, uh, man, I don't really know what to do. Like, that might be sinful, but I'm not sure. I mean, I want to walk that line. (laughs) This over here, I don't know what I should do. Maybe there's a YouTube video I should watch. I don't know, you know, because actually, let me tell you, it's right here. If if you want to know what you should do, here's the thing. It's not about what would Jesus do. It's most important, first of all, is that you know who he is. You know exactly how he's lived. You, you can go into this manual right here, and you can find almost every circumstance in life, including in the New Testament writings of the apostles who were appointed by him to give this word to us. You, you can get all those answers about living the life anyway. Maybe you're not about how to operate a chainsaw, which is what Janice is trying to get me to go on to YouTube do, because <clears throat> we've got some trees that got to come down. But, but this is where we go. And that's a beautiful picture that he's given. So you've got you to know what he has done and how he went about doing it and not forget that is what he's saying here also. And then it becomes possible with the Holy Spirit's help to live our lives imitating Jesus. Peter is really clear here. He essentially says it this way. Look, Jesus left you an example. No, not an, an example. The example to follow that comes with step-by-step instructions. Wow. Makes it simple, right? He goes on in verses 22 and 23 to remind us about him. He committed no sin. Not a single sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was sinless perfectly holy and righteous. He died, as we're going to see in a few minutes, so that we could be the same. So that we could be the same. He told us, (laughs) here's the instructions. Daily, here's what I suggest you do. Take up your cross. Die to yourself daily. Right? Put your sin to death daily and Follow me. Let's keep going. This is your calling. This is my calling. He always spoke the truth, was never deceitful. He, he, we, we model him and we endure injustice and persecution and never play deceitful games. Never gossip. Man, I got to tell you, I just got to be really honest. I thought about it and I'm, I've been guilty of this, so please don't anyone think I'm talking about anybody. I, I've counseled and discipled a lot of young men in business, in their careers, and in life. And I, I can't tell you how many times when I've been sitting down and I'm listening to this young man go on and on and on about how terrible the boss is <laughs> and how he's been overlooked for a promotion, right? And so on and so forth. Again, guys, I, I'm just saying. And, and what are, what, what, that's deceitful. That's gossiping. That's, 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 
that's destroying. And, and, and in, in the rare cases, not the rare, but in the many cases where I've been able to put that, turn that around and hold up the mirror for the young man, there's, a, there's actually a life change moment where it's like, oh, right, you're right. No, Jesus is right. And things can get better. With the boss, with your fellow employees, and the company itself as well. And so, anyway, was Jesus reviled? Of course he was, in the worst possible ways. He did not repay evil with evil. He instead died even for his revilers. When he suffers, does he seek revenge or under his breath say, one day you're going to get yours? No, he doesn't. He never threatens, but he does one thing that we're being pointed to by Peter in this text. He continually entrusts every one of these life-challenging moments to his father, who he completely not only entrusts it to him, but completely trusts that he will work it out for good for those who love him. That's how Jesus did this. And he also knows, yes, one day, God the just is going to just is going to judge justly. He knows that. One day, that will happen. So finally, finally, Peter adds the final reminder for us in case we need it, which of course is the gospel in verses 24 to 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree as a substitute. If he didn't do that, we would have to do that. We do not have to do that because he did that. He gave himself in that way. That we might die to sin, there it is, and live to righteousness. That's the why. That's why he did this. Yes, for the forgiveness of our sins, but also so that we could live this life until we get to be with him when we will be perfected and there will be no more sin. Hallelujah. Amen. But also in this life. That's what he wants for us. By his wounds, you have been healed. The Greek word healed is often translated saved. Same thing. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow. Yeah, I, guess, I think I've said Peter's uh, like not as long-winded as Paul. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has really worked amazingly in this man's life over these years. He has suffered trials and persecutions himself. And a big one's coming in six or seven years for him. So as we draw to our conclusion, we, we've got to ask ourselves how we apply this to our lives. Well, first of all, let's see a couple of key differences that I've kind of set up in the beginning for you. First, we don't live under the same kind of totalitarian Roman empire, do we? We, we don't live inside a Greco-Roman worldview that also thought of people, quite frankly, as lower estate and middle estate, barely. No, no there's lower and higher estates. There wasn't a middle class, per se. So a very, very different world culture, but certainly a very, very different governing situation. In that worldview, they believed that slaves and being in a role like that was good for 30 to 35% of the people. And besides the fact, we need them there. We need people to help on the farm and to be part of that. And so today we live under, of course, most of us know, under, under a social democracy, a democratic form of government. And we've moved on from the slave-servant, both the older model in this day and thankfully, obviously, yes, from the terrible uh, African slave trade 
um, there have been some tremendous wins in 2,000 years, right? <laughs> when, it, when it comes to those who are oppressed and, and, and great humanitarian strides. These strides, by the way, it's another point I want to make to you. These strides, I, I, I recommended a book a, a few months ago. I, I can't tell you how important it would be in this day and age for you to get this book. Glenn Shrivener, Australian guy, wrote the book, The Air That We Breathe. It's like, you know, fish are swimming in water, right? And if you ask a fish, hey, how's the water? They'd go, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's water? But the air that we breathe is we're living, everyone, whether you're Christian or non, we're living in water, in a culture that is Christian for the most part. The things that people in our culture lift up as humanitarian and right and just for workers and for employers too are, yeah, they're good. They, we have those today, friends, because the early church was faithful and then brought that to the world. The change was made by the Holy Spirit of God, right? But he used them. And he can use us today as well. So the most obvious application for our day would be what I've been alluding to all of this time uh, is our relationship between employees and their employers. Uh, The principles are worth a few minutes, I think, for us to look at. Uh, A similarity that I see actually um, to that day is what I'm going to term entry-level service industry jobs, right? Uh, Many of you know I was in the marketplace business for 30 years and a couple of companies that I started and was part of, uh, you know, we ended up having a lot of employees, so I was having to do a lot of interviews. And I started noticing in one particular scenario where, you know, the, the HR gal was bringing me these interviews, and I'd be like, 10 people I've got to interview. And so th- they would come in, and I, I'm going through the resumes, and I was really surprised. Like, about, I don't know how many, but 30 to 40%, maybe 50%, would have McDonald's, right? But that would be one of the first things they had there, or Tim's, or or, you know, Walmart. Now, Walmart wasn't around in that time. But anyway, they'd have a service industry-type job. And you know what I also noticed, though? Some people didn't have that. They had missing years. <laughs> but here's what, at first I was like, I don't know. Is that a really good thing to put on your resume that, you know, when you're in high school and maybe for a few years after that, you worked for McDonald's? Those people that I interviewed were very proud of it. I learned in my interview process that that was actually a good sign. They didn't look down on that time. They learned a lot from that company. Whatever you may think of their food, okay? <laughs> don't talk to Janice, okay? Don't talk to her about this. Um, but at whatever, like, they learned something there. And then I was also curious, well, why don't you put that on your resume? What happened between the ages of 19 and 24, by the way? Did mom and dad pay for university? Word on the resumes. It's a really important point, and I, and I think it's really important that we see this. The principles we find in the New Testament and in Peter here today apply to all employee and employer relationships, whether you're at the, the, the lower end of the, the service industry. I mean, if you're a new immigrant to Canada, uh, if you're working on your PR, you know, you're familiar with this, right? You got to start somewhere. So do you if you're young and you're inexperienced. So do I. We got to start somewhere, right? Hopefully I don't have to go back to... But, I, you know, maybe God's going to humble me and say, yeah, Glenn, maybe, maybe you're going to be a greeter at Walmart one day. Share the gospel there. Hello. Would that be terrible? We've got to think about that. So we realize that there are good employers and there are not good employers. Um, we're not going to get into that much today, but if you want to learn something about that master employer, you could go to Paul's words on this in Ephesians. He speaks to the masters. 
I read a commentary. Uh, he said this, is I think a really good advice. He says, in the business world, Christians should be known less for their assertiveness and more for their industriousness. Their work ethic, their kindness, their loyalty, their fairness, and their honesty. Hold on there. They should be known for their industriousness. What does that mean? That means they, they show up on time. They don't leave early. They don't take extended lunch breaks. They're working at things and they're looking at for how many more ways can I help here? What else can I do to help this company succeed? They're industrious. If there's a problem, they want to be the one to fix it. They're the best employees to have. Trust me. They really are. But then they have this work ethic, kindness, loyalty, fair loyalty. Hold on. I used to have employees come and go, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it and I really like it here, Glenn. It's a really good company. I like you, but I got this, you know, I got this opportunity that I'm just looking at. I'm not sure if I want to take the job somewhere else. I would usually stand up and go, it's been nice having you. Because as soon, I mean, that might sound cruel. <laughs> Sometimes they would change their mind and I would change my mind too. But, you know, as a person starts thinking the grass is greener, there's a loyalty issue there. We shouldn't be seen that way unless God is calling us to something else. He goes on to say, while they clearly want to improve their station in life, he's talking about Christians here, and will seek raises of promotion, there is no need for those desires to deafen the sound of their Christian virtues. I love the way he puts that. In other words, damage the gospel in the way that we live it out. At a point in Jesus' ministry when the apostles um, and one mother of the apostles were, like, they were, they were having this debate amongst themselves, which, which do you think, which one of us is going to be the greatest in heaven? And, and one of the mothers comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my, of my two sons, can one sit on your left hand and one sit on your right hand, like, be that great in your kingdom? <laughs> I still can't imagine, you know, man, that was a brave mom, right? And, and Jesus' response was this to all of them. Now, this is to his apostles. These are the men that he would make significant in the church. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I gave uh, all of the elders at our last elders meeting this book. It's called Deacons. It's about, you know, the need in the church for not just elders but men and women who fulfill the role of a deacon. By the way, the word is taken from the New Testament's diakonos. You know what that word is, right? It's, the word is servant. And, and so by, by rights, actually, according to the New Testament, you are all deacons. Why? Because we're all servants. Have we got that message yet? Has that come across at all here this morning? And, and by the way, that also includes the elders. We have a certain role to fulfill, but it's not a hierarchical, it's not a top-down, it's a bottom-up, servant-heart, loving way of leading. So we're all called to be deacons. I can also tell you my lifetime, I don't have time this morning to give you too many examples, but I have known so many men and women in my life, a couple come to my mind as I was praying about it this week, of, of men in particular that I've known who've been real um, amazing examples of servant hearts. One man in particular, I, I, just, I know that in the company he was in, and I've told you a story about him before, so I won't repeat it, but he had opportunities many, many, many times to move up the ladder to a higher position, and, and he refused it. He took a really low position for 40, 
five years in that company. That's loyalty. But he used that position to lead many, many, many men to Jesus Christ. I, I have noticed one thing that's universally true about every one of these people who I can look to is that, A, they were imitating Christ. That was number one. But number two, they were the happiest, most content, and most fulfilled people I have ever met. What does that tell you? (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, actually. So friends, as we follow, as followers of Jesus, as we go into this world, into our work, let's be mindful of who's looking down, looking for us to do good, especially when things are not going well. And it's because we feel we're being put down and being put into a position that we don't deserve. Let's do good. And, and, and out of that, we recognize that he will bless us, which really means what, when it says it is gracious in his sight, what it merely means is he's going to pour more and more and more of his grace and love. Yes, but his grace on you. Give you more grace and I more grace so that we can continue in this life. So we need to remember who we are to be imitating, imaging to this lost and dying world. And then let's serve him. Let's go here today. Let's serve him. He is our king. That makes us what? Well, yeah, we're the children of God, but that makes us what? Servants of our king. How do we serve our king? Like he served us, by serving others. And friends, listen, it starts right here in the church. This is the best training ground for servants. We could use more of you. Every single one of us in the church and then into this world, go make disciples. How? By serving others. Pray with me, would you?